I invite you to find your Bible, take a Bible, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. Our second reading for this day, the day we remember the baptism of our Lord, comes from Luke's account of that event. In chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and, and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will invade our lives, interrupt our lives, disrupt our lives, and do whatever is necessary in our lives to move us along in the journey of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. God, we give you thanks for this morning. We give you thanks that you allow us, you call us to worship you. And because of the grace this hour is in Jesus Christ, we can approach your throne boldly. We pray, God, that as that grace continues to work in our lives, that we may become trophies of your grace, your goodness, your work here in this world. God, we pray that for a few moments, earthly distractions may cease. All of those inner voices that are speaking to us may fade away, and that we will hear your voice. We know that you seek to speak a word to each one of us right here, right now, in these moments. So God, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We are continuing in our sermon series entitled, Aha Moments. Moments of spirit-led inspiration, or I might say spirit-led revelation. And my prayer for each one of us is that we'll have lives punctuated by those aha spiritual moments. I even, I even dare to pray that each one of us will have one of those moments right now in this place at this time. Today we are looking at the baptism of Jesus. It is related in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it is assumed in the Gospel of John. We're looking at the text particularly as it comes to us today from Luke's account. We're looking at that special aha moment that Jesus had there on that day in the Jordan River. It's only been since the year 2000 that we have been able to go to that spot 
And we know the spot where Jesus was much more than likely to have experienced John the Baptist and to have received baptism. The Bible tells us where it's at. It's across from Jericho, there in the Judean wilderness, the Judean desert, on the opposite bank of the Jordan River. So we, we know where it's at, pretty much. And we know the spot because that spot has been marked with Christian churches for centuries, going all the way back to the ruins of those churches from the earliest days of the Christian movement. So we, we know the spot where this event occurred. And it's fascinating when you go to that spot now. We've only been able to go to that spot since the year 2000 because before then, it really was still in no man's land. It was in disputed territory between Jordan and Israel, and people could not go there. But in the year 2000, in order to celebrate the dawning of a new millennium, Pope John Paul II made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and Pope John Paul II wanted to see the spot, that spot. So in a rather remarkable way, Israel and Jordan and the Palestinian Authority got together and they allowed a spot to be created there where those ancient churches had sat. We almost, we're almost certain that that's very much in the vicinity of where Jesus would have gone and been baptized by his cousin John. When you go there today, it very much is in the desert. And because it's in the desert, every fly and every gnat in the region goes to that water. So it's not a pleasant place. When you go there today as you're driving down the road from the main road to get to the Jordan River, you see signs of danger on both sides of the road. Because that used to be no man's land, so there's still signs up saying do not stray from the road. Because we know that the field is full of landmines. And that was a no man's land. So it's an interesting place to visit. It's an interesting place to go and remember the baptism of Jesus. But in so many, many ways, it may very well be in a very appropriate spot to remember the baptism of Jesus. It's hot, it's dry, it's dusty, it's unpleasant, and it's somewhat dangerous if you decided to wander from the site. So maybe that's the perfect place remember the baptism of Jesus, you remember that immediately, immediately, that's Mark's word, immediately following the baptism of Jesus, what Jesus did. He went, again, further into the desert, the Judean desert, and he, and he did battle. He did battle with the enemy. He went and he was there for 40 days, 40 nights, being tempted by the devil. So maybe in a dry dusty, unpleasant, conflicted spot is the place to receive the baptism because maybe in the dry, dusty, unpleasant, conflicted spot is a reminder that sometimes in those kind of spots in our life, God can do God's best work. We go to those spots frequently throughout our life. Some of you may be in one of those spots right now this morning in this sanctuary, dry, dusty, unpleasant, conflicted. And you're looking for some 
some spiritual sustenance this morning. You're looking for some living water that can change your life in these moments. My prayer for each one of us is that we may experience an aha moment, a moment of inspiration, a moment of revelation from God as we sit here in this place today. Here in the account of Jesus' baptism, it definitely was an aha moment. It is amazing to me that when you compare Luke to, to Matthew and to Mark, that Luke presents the baptism of Jesus in two, two short verses. Mark and Matthew tells us more about the baptism of Jesus. But Luke tells us what Luke wants to tell us, and it's so pointed and so important. I want you to look at the text. Now when all the people were baptized, you see all these people were going out to this seemingly ungodly place on the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, was out there in the Jordan River calling the people to start over again in their spiritual life. He was calling them to begin anew as the people of God. So he was calling them back to the Jordan River so that they could literally go through the Jordan River again and come into the land that we call holy and begin anew. They had wandered so far from God. They had messed up so many things. They had strayed from God's will for their life. So John the Baptist was out there in the desert calling the whole nation of Israel to come and start over, to come and experience proselyte baptism as if they weren't even Jews, to come and begin anew. And people were going. That amazes me. People were going to watch what was going on as this revival preacher was preaching out in the Jordan River. And people were going, and I'm sure the crowds were large. And then as the crowd, the line got closer to John the Baptist, John the Baptist eventually looks up, and there is Jesus, his cousin, in this line, can you believe it? In this line, John the Baptist made it very clear this was a baptism for the forgiveness of sin. This was a baptism for the remission of sin. This was a baptism of repentance to allow you to start all over again. And that's why when Jesus gets there right in front of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, according to Matthew's gospel, tries to talk him out of it. John knew, as John says in the Gospel of John, this Jesus, behold, this is the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Perfect, unblemished. He had no sin of his own. So what in the world is he doing in that line with those people seeking baptism on that day? He doesn't need to repent of any sin. Why is he there? And that's the question that startled his cousin John the Baptist. He tries to dissuade Jesus from being baptized. But if you look at Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, I need to be baptized because it is the right thing to do. You see, Jesus came for us. Jesus came to invade our lives. Jesus came to stand with us. 
Jesus came to be sin on our behalf so that we could experience the righteousness of God. So he wasn't there in that line for his own sake. He was there in that line for our sake. Here at the very beginning of his public ministry, he is identifying with sinful people like you and me. He's identifying with people who need that baptism. So he's there, not needing himself, but identifying with us his whole life will be an identification with us, for us, up to that very moment when on the cross he becomes sin on our behalf, I'm quoting Paul, when he becomes sin on our behalf so that we might possibly become the righteousness of God. So John tries to talk about of it. Jesus will not be talked out of it. So John baptized Jesus. And in Mark's account, we learn something very interesting. John baptizes Jesus, and in the midst of this event, bracketing this event, Jesus is praying. Matthew's gospel does not tell you that. Mark's gospel does not tell you that. Luke is the only gospel that tells you at this moment in this event, Jesus is praying. The gospel of Luke seems to be particularly fascinated by Jesus' prayer life. That's why the Gospel of Luke is always telling us about prayer experiences in Jesus' life. He's praying here at his baptism. It's Luke, and Luke alone tells us that before he chose the twelve, he spent the night in prayer. It's Luke, and Luke alone that tells us that when Jesus took his closest disciples up to the far north, to the region of Caesarea Philippi, a long way from the Jewish religious officials in order to spend some time with them and ask them the question, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Luke tells us Jesus prayed before he did that. It's Luke's gospel only that tells us when Jesus went atop Mount Hermon and was transfigured glorified, begin to shine with the radiance of divinity there in front of John and James and Peter that by this point we expect it, he was praying as it happened. All the Gospels tell us about the Garden of Gethsemane, but it is only Luke's Gospel that tells us that the prayer of Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane becomes so earnest, becomes so agonizing that his sweat become, became drops of blood. And it's Luke's gospel that tells us even when Jesus is on the cross, he, he prays. We expect Luke to tell us this now. He prays while he's on the cross. And you'll notice in Luke's gospel, he does not pray for himself. He prays that prayer that we all know, Father, forgive them. These people who are doing this to me, forgive them because they really do not know the full extent of what they're doing. So Jesus is even praying at that point. Luke's gospel tells us that there were many occasions when Jesus would go to a deserted, isolated place just so he could spend an extended period in prayer. I'm challenged by this when I read this in Luke's gospel because if prayer was this important 
to the Son of God, how much more so should prayer be important to us? I'm, I hope you know that we have four spiritual practices that we as a congregation focus upon. One of those is prayer. We're trying to help each other grow as prayerful people because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt when we look at the, the Jewish Bible and the Christian Testament that prayer is very much God's will for us. Prayer is critical and crucial to how God does God's work in the world. God could send a committee of angels to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, but God rather do, would rather do it through us, and most of the time God would rather do it through our prayers. It's through the prayers of God's people that God primarily does God's work in the world. And, of course, it was John Wesley who said famously that God does nothing in this world except in answer to our prayer. That's the, that's the means by which God decided to involve us in God's work in this world. Prayer is so important. We, we know it's important to us here at Wesley Memorial Church. We will have another prayer retreat this year to help give each other practical tools for praying. And uh, we're already looking at another sermon series on prayer. Prayer is so important. And we need to understand that prayer is not just walking around in a spirit of wishful thinking. Prayer is something very specific in the Bible. And that's why the Bible talks so much from beginning to end about prayer. And here comes Jesus, the very Son of God, and he prays in order to do his work. You see Jesus praying all night long because of what he's going to do during the day. If Jesus needed prayer that desperately, how much more so should we be called to live as prayerful people? Here in the text, Jesus went into the river. He was baptized by John. He was praying as he was baptized. And it says the heaven was opened. Prayer is the way we open heaven. Prayer is the way we touch heaven. Prayer is the way heaven touches us. Prayer is the way we access the power of heaven and the purposes of heaven for this world. Prayer is the way we usher God into this world. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who famously said one time, a little faith will get us to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to earth, even to our lives. We can experience the kingdom of God in the here and now. We can experience the work of God in the here and now. We could even have lives punctuated with aha moments. But it's dependent upon us becoming more and more and more a prayerful person, living in constant communion, constant communication with headquarters, living in fellowship with God. Jesus prayed, the heavens opened. We know that is how important prayer is. If we want these aha moments, if we want God to do amazing things in our lives, in the life of our congregation, in the lives of our family members, I know we care about our family members, then we should boldly rush to the throne of grace. In prayer. So Jesus goes 
He's baptized as he prays. The heavens open. And it says here in, in Luke's account, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove. Isn't that fascinating? By the way, as an aside, at no extra cost, when those people come and knock at your door, and they usually come in pairs, and if you give them a chance, they're going to tell you that the word Trinity does not occur in the Bible, therefore you should not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. You need to tell them you know that the word Trinity does not occur in the Bible, but you see the Trinity all over the place in the Bible, such as this text before us this morning. God the Son goes out to be baptized in the river Jordan. God the Father speaks as God the Spirit comes down. We see the Trinity throughout all of the New Testament. So we didn't just invent this doctrine out of whole cloth. So here's Jesus baptized. He's praying. As he prays, the heavens open. The Holy Spirit comes down because it's through prayer that we touch heaven and we allow for a channel for heaven to touch us. He prays the Holy Spirit comes down in, in the form of a dove. That's always fascinated me. He didn't come down in the form of a majestic eagle. He didn't come down like a flamboyant peacock. He came down in the form of a common bird, the dove. And I think we can learn a lot as we think about what that perhaps means, that the Holy Spirit, at least at this point, took the form of a dove. In the Bible, we know that the dove is a harbinger of peace. You remember the story of Noah, Noah's ark? Remember Noah sent the dove out to see if uh, the waters had receded, and the dove comes back uh, with, with a branch, a leaf, but then Noah sends them out again, and the dove does not come back. And that's Noah's message, the water is in the process of receding. So we know that the dove is both a messenger, the dove is a bringer, a harbinger of peace, and we know that the Holy Spirit is the way God speaks to us today, those of us who nurture and cultivate ears to hear. We know that the Holy Spirit is God's messenger. We know that the Holy Spirit is the bringer of peace. We know that the dove worldwide, throughout and beyond the Christian faith, is known as a symbol of peace. There's so little peace in the world, and I believe the reason there's so little peace in the world is there's so few hearts of peace in human beings. But if the Spirit can cultivate in us a heart of peace, if the Spirit can give us the gift of a disarmed heart, the gift of a heart at peace, then it will show in our lives, and that peace will be evident in our lives, and that peace will touch the people around us. But the gift of peace is an, is an inside job. And it's the Holy Spirit who brings peace to us. So the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. You know, when I think about the Holy Spirit being symbolized as a dove, one of the things that keeps coming to me is a dove is easily frightened. A dove is easily scared away. And that might be why Paul, in his writings, at one point tells us, do not quench the Holy Spirit. At another point, Paul says, um, do, 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 not, do not cause the Holy Spirit to be grieved. So evidently, Paul thought we could 
quench the Spirit, we could grieve the Spirit. And I think what Paul's getting at there is most of the time the Spirit is very much a gentleman. The Spirit's normal, normative way of working with us is in a gentle, unassuming way. And I know the Spirit can rip our lives wide open and give us Damascus Road experience, but that's not the normal, normative way the Spirit works. The Spirit is very gentle. The Spirit works as a still, small voice. And that's why it's really easy to drive the work of the Spirit away from us. The Spirit is as gentle, wants to be as gentle with us as a dove. So if you want an aha moment, a life punctuated with aha moments, we've got to nurture our relationship with the Spirit. You know, every year about this time, Fitness centers and gyms get ridiculously full. And I'm glad they do. Uh, Tammy and I have always been members of fitness centers, and I've always been frustrated by all those other people that want to show up in January. And you can't hardly get in in January, but of course you know the reason. People make those New Year's resolutions, and the gyms are usually packed at the beginning of the new year. But before long, the resolutions fade away, and the and the numbers return to normal in those gyms or fitness centers. I've often wished we could have the same phenomenon in the church at the beginning of a new year. Because it is, it is good, it's fine to make New Year's resolutions. But I don't think people make as many New Year's resolutions about their spiritual life or the gift of the Spirit as our culture tends to make about their physical life and the strength of their bodies. If you want aha moments, you need to nurture your relationship to the Spirit. If you want aha moments, you need to make a place, make space in your lives for the Spirit to do the Spirit's thing. And you notice, lastly, in this text, the Spirit came down, and God the Father spoke. It says in the text, God the Father spoke. You are my beloved Son. You are the one in whom I'm well pleased. God the Father spoke to Jesus because God the Father's commissioning Jesus here at the beginning of his public ministry. You know, there's only a few, few places in the New Testament where God the Father speaks. This is one of those few, few places where God the Father speaks. And you've probably heard me say, I, I know we sometimes put Jesus' words in red. I think we need to put the Father's words in green. What well, few times they occur in the New Testament. Here's the Father speaking to Jesus. And the Father declares who Jesus is. I hope that you know who Jesus is. The Father's declaring it to you. I hope that you know who Jesus is. But I want to leave you with this. I hope that you will allow God to tell you who you are. Allow God to tell you about yourself. Allow God to paint the picture of how, how important and how valuable you are in this world. You know, we, we allow so many people to tell us who we are. We allow so many people to tell us about our value. You know, sometimes we, we have um, people around us. Sometimes we have family trying to tell us who we are. Sometimes we let our failures in life tell us who we are. Sometimes we're even foolish enough to allow our emotions, those fleeting emotions within us, to tell us who we are. 
And we bring ourselves a great deal of misery because of that. We need to grow in the spiritual life to the point where we let God's estimation of us be first and foremost in our life. You are the beloved child of God. If you had been the only human being in the world, Jesus Christ would have still died for you. You are precious to God. You heard that text that Pastor Clark read a few moments ago. You are precious to God. You are the apple of God's eye. You are the plan of God to change the world. You are so important that God gave God's only son to die for you. Let God tell you about you. Be very, very careful of allowing other people and circumstances and emotions and failures to make that evaluation. I hope that right now in this place, we're having some aha moments, some moments of spirit-led revelation. We have a God who delights in communicating with us. That's why we have a Bible. We have a God who delights in communicating with us. I hope that we have ears to hear God communicating with us right now. You know, all churches, all congregations have reputations in their community. I'm not going to speak as to what perhaps our reputation or reputations may be in the community of High Point, but I'll tell you what my prayer is. My prayer is that we will have a reputation here at Wesley Memorial Church of being a congregation, being a place where Jesus Christ happens, where we allow the Spirit to work. We are so Christ-exalting that we invite Christ into our midst to do His work in our lives. There's a lot of things congregations can be known for. You can make your own list. I pray that we will be known in this community as a place where people can come and find the life that only Jesus Christ can provide. Would you pray with me? God, here on the threshold of a new year, we pray that your grace and courage will give us the willingness to invite you into our lives to do a new thing, to send us in a new direction, to give us some new experiences. Just like you claimed Jesus on, on that day, at that day in the Jordan River, we know that you have claimed us as your very own. You have called us, you have equipped us, you have given us the gift of your Spirit. May we give the Spirit free reign in our lives. Free us of our addictions to control. Free us of our fear that keeps us from joyfully following you. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.